Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Timmins podcast. I'm your host, Timmins, and this is my podcast, Real Conversations with Authentic People. And man, do I have a conversation for you guys today. But first, business. So, Timmins podcast on YouTube, Timmins podcast on Twitter. Definitely check both those out. As well as, uh, thank you to our sponsor, Quiet River and Massage Revival. Quiet River Massage and Revival in Syracuse, Indiana, owned by Jasmine. Jasmine uh, does different types of massages, 30, 60, 90-minute massages. They're Timmin approved. They're Noah approved. They're definitely approved. Offering $10 off new clients who schedule in October. You may call or text 574-501-3338. Or schedule online at Quiet River Massage and Revival. Definitely get into relaxation mode this fall with Jasmine, Quiet River Massage and Revival, available to book online, call, text, get a hold of our $10 off first massage. So yeah, definitely awesome. So um, today I I, I have a great podcast with uh, Marshall King. Really appreciate having him on the podcast and listening to his story. He's just very interesting, entertaining. Uh, Got to pick his brain on a a bunch of different things and you guys will get to that. But I really appreciate him coming on and just the way that he's affected the community and impacted it. Um, He's kind of a staple in this area and I love to see the direction that he's going. He's always shifting and moving and um, it's cool to see the way that he is uh, growing in his own in his own way, whether that's writing or his his personal uh, Substack and just the way he's thinking things. And he's just he's been in a place and he saw the landscape shift. And so uh, I think he's doing really well. So, anyways, enough of me talking. Let's get to Marshall. Marshall, welcome. Thanks. Good to be here. Yeah, man. So um, have you ever been on a podcast before? I have. I'm trying to remember um, exactly. Yeah, I did. I did some related when um, when I wrote a book that came out a couple of years ago about um, MJ Sharp. And so I was on some podcasts then. Um, and I've I've done radio. I've done TV. I've done a lot of like um, broadcast media um starting back in high school and and going forward so it's not completely foreign yeah so yeah this is totally yeah up your alley you can handle this so well thank you so much for coming man i appreciate it great to be here Um, this is good it was it was a great chance meeting to see you out disc golfing and it's like well let's get this let's get this going so um yeah let's let's just do an intro tell people who you are uh and then we can go from there sure my name is marshall king i uh kind of grew up in Goshen. We moved here when I was a kid, right before elementary school, really. Um, was born in the South uh, when my parents happened to be living down there, but had family here. And so we moved back, went to Millersburg Elementary and Fairfield High School, wow. and then was a first generation college kid who went to Eastern Mennonite uh, University. Oh, wow. It was Eastern Mennonite College, but then graduated. Is that Pennsylvania? It was Virginia. Virginia. Yeah. So I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do after graduation. Um, toyed with, you know, a lot of things and ended up getting a part-time sports writing gig at, uh, the Goshen news. Oh wow. And then that became a full-time gig a few months later. And even when I was at early stage of the newspaper business, I was like, I had done this stuff in college and even high school, but I was like, I don't know. Yeah. But it turned out that I could write fast and uh, I was plugged into the community, and I really enjoyed it. And so was at the Goshen News a little less than a year, 
and then went to the Elkhart Truth and was there more than 22 years. Wow. And so, and had, you know, made a choice as a young adult to kind of stay put in Goshen, um, not, or Goshen or Elkhart, um, lived in both, but, but to stay in Elkhart County and keep living and working here. And, um, I'm still here now, 30 years after college ended. <laughs> nice. Yeah, no, that's, I, that's, uh, I know you from, I've, I've read a lot of your few, uh, food blogs or I mean, food articles. Yeah. I don't know if they're, blogs i i use blog as like a blanket term i have people come up and like are you still doing that blog that's the new that's the new term you know like back in the day it started as a column i uh, did a column yeah and now that i do it online and there's no actual printed version i still am like is it a column is it a blog is it an email newsletter well yes 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 it's that's all the answer it. yeah it's it's that's <clears throat> the thing that's cool yeah and so I, I would read a lot of stuff and then when you go to different restaurants i would see your articles columns mm -hmm. Uh, different things out there on uh, you know sp specific places when you know when they would open you know you would write something right. about it. And it was, I mean, and and I think that's how a lot of people know me. They're like, oh, you're the food guy, because mm -hmm. um, I was a an education reporter at the Elkhart Truth, and actually had a column where I would go do things and write about them. So I was a, a substitute teacher in an elementary classroom. I was a circus clown. I was a short order oh. cook. Um, I did a bunch of different things like that and would write these first person columns. And then in 2000, early 2000, the managing editor of the Elkhart Truth at the time said, we just did research. Our readers, readers really want you know, news on going out to eat. Mm. Uh, start a column. And at that point, there weren't a lot of other examples on the small newspaper side um, or, or mid-sized newspaper side of anyone really doing it very much. So yeah. Um, a guy in Bloomington was doing it. Somebody in Fort Wayne had been a restaurant critic briefly, but she had kind of like trashed everybody. And so she yeah. didn't last real long. Yeah. So there were examples like that you where the you bridge real quick. Actually, I think it was elsewhere other than Fort Wayne, but, but I mean, it was so, how do I do this? So I started writing feature stories about restaurants as they opened mm. and pretty quickly people started saying, well, how was the food? And I'm like, well, I didn't try the food. <laughs> so seeing an opportunity, I went back to the managing editor and said, can I eat while I go? And he said, yes, but you're not a critic. And within a few years, you know, friends would say, well, I could tell you didn't like the food at that place. And I'm like, but I didn't say that. Hmm. And they're like, no, but we could tell. <laughs> um, and, and so, and I started doing searches for the best of something in Elkhart County. Yeah. Started with pie and, and burritos and burgers and pizza. And, and so um, those search, when you're doing a search like that and you're rating one compared to another, you're a critic. Like there's no yeah. getting around it. You have to say, this is better than this and here's why. Right. So that started in 2000 and then, you know, readers were really engaged and really enjoyed it. And so um, the Monday column then led to like wine dinners before anybody was really doing them or some, some trips to... Italy and Ireland and California and uh, other places in the Midwest and just other ways of engaging people. And then the yeah. truth actually started fly, Flavor 574 mm. to kind of even build it, be, build it out beyond me. And so um, this interest in food, you know, is something that we all, we all have to eat. And, yeah. and so it is something that I became known by and it's something that I've spent an awful, uh, a big chunk of my career thinking about, writing about, and, 
you know, it's kind of fun to do research, research just by raising a glass or lifting a fork. Right. Right. So. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's fun. I mean, it's something, I mean, were you going to go into specifically for like food related or it just kind of fell into it? I mean, I, growing up, I was more inclined to want to help my mom in the kitchen than to want to like help my dad outside. Yeah. Whatever he was doing, welding or farming or whatever. Right. So I enjoyed food growing up. Um, in college, I started to cook a little bit. After college, I did cook. Um, as a single guy, I just enjoyed cooking and deep frying turkeys and yeah. brewing a little bit of beer or whatever. So I um, was interested in food, and I had friend, a friend in the newsroom. She and I would spend a lot of the morning talking about what we were going to have for lunch. Mm. Um, and then I did an interview with John Lucase of Lucase's Restaurant, um, on the phone. And by the time I hung up, I think most people in the newsroom were hungry. Wow. And it was just one of those things that I, it, based on a couple of these feature stories and some interest, they said, we think you can reach some readers and engage some readers. So have at it. And then it just kind of grew and evolved and, you know, made mistakes, um, learned what to do and what not to do, learned how to be kind of a careful critic. Yeah. Um, over the years to where I could say something critical, but it was always like, I'm a hunter gatherer, an advanced scout. I'll go to this place. I'll tell you this place is going to open, but then it's not my job to ruin it. You know, after they spent nine months in their life savings to get it open. Right. The market will do that. Right. But I'm also not going to send you there if it's, I'm going to be really careful about telling you to go eat there if the food's not very good. Yeah. And so I've always kind of worked well, at that. Well, you're not going to say this is the best thing ever when you weren't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Work to just not to be willing to say what I was willing to say. Right. But not be disingenuous about it. So that served me pretty well um, for a really long time. And it still does. Um, the muscles are still very much there. It just, it just continues to keep evolving and look different over time. Yeah. With, with different mediums and uh, well, my and own personal evolution and a lot of different things. The, so. the local news landscape is shifting. And oh, yeah. Is shifting would be generous. I think shifted yeah. um, dramatically is, is pretty accurate. I think, I mean, what I didn't realize in the early 90s when I started in the local news business was that that was kind of the peak. Yeah. And the papers that I worked for but first in Goshen and then in Elkhart were both family owned. Mm. And so there was tremendous grace and even opportunity because of that. Um, we weren't part of a big chain, you know, focused on the profits. Um, and so there were chances to do fun things like they had me do. Um, for a while, about the same time I started the restaurant column, I was the fun guy. I was the guy who would write feature stories. I could write hard news, but I was better at features, but they sent me to Cedar Point to ride roller coasters. Yeah. Like they, a tough job. Um, you know, had me do like kind of one tank trip stories. Um, yeah. And so I got, it was a sweet gig. Um, and then I think, I mean, uh, we, I saw the changes happening um, in the industry and with profits and, and I moved into management at the paper. And so I was more aware of what was happening yeah. With to the bottom line than than maybe some folks were, and and I was about a uh, about a dozen years ago I was at Constant Spring, 
with a reporter from MSNBC.com because they had been here um, doing a project on Elkhart County after the Great Recession. Okay, yeah. And so some of these folks, I mean, these folks were amazing. They were great to work with, learned a lot from them. They were mentors. Enjoyed him greatly, and we're standing at the spring, and the one guy says, how old are you? And I said, well, I'm, I'm you know, about 40. <clears throat> and he said, you probably won't retire from the newspaper. In fact, I can almost guarantee it. And I kind of went, what? Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, uh, the industry's changing. And I'm like, ooh. So that was really the first understanding that it was going to change. And it was five or six or five to seven years later that paper was sold, and I was out the door. Wow. And so I had... I came to understand that I wasn't going to retire from the paper. I just didn't know what came next, what sort of parachute would be there maybe. And, and, uh, but the news industry has changed. Newsrooms are, uh, the Elkhart truth newsroom is, uh, so I, the Elkhart truth newsroom that I hired into had 40 or 45 people full-time equivalent. Yeah. There are five there now. I believe. Wow. Yeah, in the so newsroom. it's slim. And the same thing at the Goshen News. And and that's not, you know, that's not the, not. Those, it's, just it's not their it fault. Is. It's just the business. The money left the industry for all sorts of, I mean, first Craigslist, then Google, Facebook. Yeah. Marketplace. Marketplace. Yeah. I mean, all the things took money out of the newspaper industry and the, and the it was industry like, was slow to respond. It was the spot that you would go and find everything. And mm -hmm. now that all got dispersed. Yeah. Yeah. Like, indeed... Yeah, is now what was the class? You know, exactly. I mean, it, it's yeah. You would take out the classified ad when you when you had a job posting and those. Yeah. And now, you know, and 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 even when I was still there, like I was, I told readers, like, you know, we will bring a pile of dead trees to your house as long as it makes sense and as long as you pay us to do so on one level. But I also knew that those days were waning, um, and you know that a generation from now people will talk about newspapers on some level perhaps the way we talk about rotary dial phones or, right like things just change that's what you can you can count the, on the fact that things will change yeah and then the newspaper industry they did and it was it's been dramatic to watch and it's painful to watch yeah. um and Especially i and i put 20 years yeah. into that Industry. Well, I mean, even, you know, Benjamin Rogers, I think your last or one of your last guests talked about how the paper I worked at, the Elkhart Truth, used to do these in-depth election-based articles. Yep. And that happened. Some of that happened. I did some of those. I directed reporters doing some of those. I was in editorial board meetings related to a lot of those. Um, I, you know, I was in the middle of what this... 29 year old was talking about as the good old days on one level. Yeah. And I was like, I listened to him say that. And I was like, Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. There it is. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the reality is just that the newspaper industry has changed dramatically and readership has changed Yeah, where we get our news has changed and it, and it's, it's not all bad. I mean, but it also has a downside that oh, yeah. does scare me, particularly as in an election season. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's, um, I, I find it hard to find credible sources. Like, everything is digital and, uh, you can say whatever you want without having to back it up. And I get caught up sometimes. I'm like, oh, did you hear? And I'm like, wait a second. Maybe I should fact check this because I saw it on Facebook or Twitter or mm -hmm. X or whatever. I don't know if this is legit or not. And, uh, you start to, 
the the reality starts to like tread a little bit. It's like yeah, and 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 everybody like the newspaper business for the longest time was one of the few places with a publish button, hmm. and so people came to us saying, "Will you print, you know, this piece about?" Um, you know, this thing our church is doing yeah. because it gave it validity to have it in the newspaper. Yeah. I became, I wasn't convinced that anybody read the newspaper and then said, oh, I'm going to go to that church event. Right. But, um, but I think they did in a, in a certain time and in a certain way. And, and, but the newspaper gave those things validity. And when it was in the newspaper, um, it, it, it gave it some legitimacy. And it's really funny to me because it still is true. Because people take a picture of the newspaper and post it to Facebook and say, see, look, I was in the newspaper. Yeah. yeah. Like, but now it's people sharing photos of the news. a piece of paper on social media. Yeah. And it's like, wow, that's weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think, uh, you know, as I, I mean, it was a researcher named Clay Shirky who talked about, you know, now, I mean, the publish buttons changed. Yeah. We all have 10 of them. Right. I mean, you have one for your podcast and one for social media and one for YouTube. I mean, right. like we all have 10 publish buttons. And when we hit that era, the newspaper industry was in a different space. Yeah. They didn't, um, I, I don't know if I say they, but the whole industry, I feel like, did not shift digital. Oh, or, no, 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 no. They, they were too slow. Yeah. They, they thought um, they did not shift digital. And I was in the middle of some of that at the truth, trying to figure out how to do it digitally. Yeah, but you what we didn't money. do, how do you make money, and how do you make money? Because it was always, you know, digital dimes to print dollars. Like right. it wasn't, um, and so we were. The newspaper industry was slow to put up paywalls, mm. and they were slow to make the user experience good online. Mm -hmm. um, and so now the paywalls are there, but they're unrealistic. Yeah, and so you know, if you're comparing like a Netflix subscription costing you ten to fourteen dollars a month, right, or a YouTube Premium subscription costing you fourteen dollars a month, and a newspaper subscription costing you twenty dollars a month, it's hard to when there's just a handful of people producing content. Yeah, it's hard to balance those. And there are people who say, I still want to support local media and they do. Right. Now the funding models are being worked on. There's some nonprofit initiatives that are working in fits and starts. But it really and it'll I think it'll get figured out over time. Yeah. Um, but that question of trust remains a tough one. And I think um, you know the 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 rise too of like the partisan media. Mm -hmm. I mean, Rupert Murdoch figured out that he could make a lot of money if he put partisan politics on a broadcast network. Yeah, and that's where we're at. And then MSNBC did it. And then you've got the offshoots, right? Where you know people can say anything and and put it out there. Oh and, yeah, and then it's like, <laughs> right, right, wow, right. Where, how do we get here? Yeah, how's this? So, yeah, but, I, it's interesting because. Um, I see, you know, I see, I've kind of, I don't know, you know, where I've, I grew up in the, in the 90s, early 2000s, and it's like, okay, yeah, kind of go away from the traditional, I'm going to embrace this craziness, and now I'm like, man, I kind of want to go back to traditional. So I could see in the future, we're going to go back more towards community, more towards local, especially with AI. I was having a conversation with someone about AI, and it's like, you know, I everything online now is so 
I don't know if it's real or not, but a conversation where I'm talking to you face to face, at least I can grasp reality, you know? And so I wonder if there will be another role for a local newspaper and maybe in a different way, but people are like, oh yeah, this is reality as opposed to who knows what deep fake or who, what this AI is saying. Cause AI is now writing stuff. AI is now producing things and videos and yeah. sermons. I, I do think, I mean, I, I think I'm a, bit of a living example of that still yeah to where i have you know i've i've been writing about food now for more than 20 years yeah and so people tell me well if you say it's good i believe you mm. and and if you tell me that it's a good place then i'll go try it out yeah and so there is there's that, that trust there's that trust and that track record that i don't take for granted but it's also that um what does that mean in terms of what does that mean for me as a writer? What does that mean for me as someone creating content? Yeah. Um, which was a phrase that we never used to say, but um, we just wrote an article. It wasn't creating content. Yeah. Um, but now, but now I, but now I say it too. And, and I mean, even I remember when I was willing to kind of even call myself a brand hmm. and there was another reporter in the newsroom. I was an editor and he was a reporter. And he's like, I am not a brand. Mm. And he re he he really bristled at that when in when I no longer bristled at that, but I remember an interaction with him because I was like, oh yeah, he just wants to be a newspaper reporter, yeah, you know, and and I was more willing to be a brand, so to speak, and so, but with that, you, you know, it comes it comes. What am I willing to stand behind, and what am I willing to say or not say, and those all have value. Yeah. Um, it's a little more weight to what it is. You do. Yeah, it is. And and so that's why I try to be thoughtful and considered rather than just reactionary. Yeah, just trash and burn everyone. Yeah. And that probably helped when let's say, you know, the newspaper did get sold, you had built all those relationships. Yeah. That's I a, mean, the sale I um as I said, I mean, I did I knew that the end would come. I, people in the community, I mean, or in the business were saying, I'm hearing that the truce up for sale. I'm like, no, I really didn't think it would happen on the timetable that it did. So then, um, when it happened in May of 2016, I, and I figured out who my new employers were, I kind of figured that I would be out the door. Yeah. And two weeks later to the day I was. So, and when I got let go, people even in that I even coworkers were shocked that I was one of them. And I'm like, what do you like? What do you mean? I'm an expensive, oddly shaped piece. Like yeah. I've been here a long time. You know, you're cheap. You you work. I mean, these new reporters make less than I do. Right. I mean, they're just they're going to cut the costs. Entry, they're going to take the entry level. Yeah. Let's just. Or, yeah, but it caught the community by such surprise. There were people who called the paper the same day I was like, "Oh, and cancel their subscription." Wow! Like, and that, and they would tell me that, and I was like, "Oh, like it just, it was so." And it wasn't. That's it was really just sweet. a few days late. It really was. Yeah, those people. And I was committed to not going negative. Yeah. Um, to not burning bridges or blowing things up. Um, you know, the position that we were in. The reason the family sold was financial and the changes in the industry. And and you can argue, oh, they shouldn't have done it, or oh well, you know, I understand it. And it and and it was change. And so I resolved to not go negative. 
And when I told people that Monday afternoon that I was no longer at the truth, was very conscientious about it. And the response from people was overwhelming. And within a few days, the phone started ringing saying, hey, we would love, are you interested in helping us do, or, or have you thought about? And I had all sorts of options. Wow. And, and I really was kind of committed to figuring out if I could freelance and peace enough together. Yeah. I was not interested in just going back, diving back into a full-time job at another newspaper or publication. So I was able to piece some things together and in remarkable ways with the support of a lot of folks in the community. And um, I'll forever be grateful for that. That's so cool. So what was the kind of the thing that you did after? I um, I still did the the food column, the restaurant column, but it shifted from the Elkhart Truth to the South Bend Tribune and the Goshen News. Yeah. And Flavor 574 existed for a short bit there. Um, and so it was there. And so I was like, you know, kind of small mini syndication with those three places. And then the, the two newspapers lasted longer. Um, I did some business writing. Um, the community foundation of Elkhart County was one of the first clients to hire me and say, we want you as a freelance writer. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I would, I printed up business cards and put up a website and would hand out business cards as much as I could and just got, kept getting opportunities. And there was some client churn where somebody would say, Hey, are you willing to do this? Oh, okay. Yeah. We we're, we're going to go a different direction. Or right. I ended up with, um, out of that mix, one retainer situation for a period of time. That's nice. I just, I just had the money going in the bank and then would be responsive to them with work. Um, yeah. And as a freelancer, retainer situations are that's nice. Like yeah, stability, the, the golden calf, the yeah. thing that you want if you can get them. <laughs> but then I also got—I mean, I got some longer-term stuff. I mean, I was asked to write a regional economic development plan for the region. Mm. There were five committees of people working around different areas. After the the region, the South Bend Elkhart region had gotten some of the state money, right. the first round of state redevelopment money, they needed a a, a economic plan. And so they asked me to come in and kind of, so I went to all these committee meetings and then after a, a year, a little bit more of that kind of pulled together what everybody had agreed on. Hmm. And, um, that was, I mean, that was a lot of fun and met a ton of people in the region. Um, that was a, that was, that was a great gig. Um, and you know, I did, uh, I think the most obscure thing that I did was write, a script for a manufacturer based in Germany with a outpost in Mishawaka, I think. Yeah. And they sold a certain widget and they wanted a little, one of those little whiteboard videos yeah. with a ninja, uh, like a, a, a ninja as a mascot. Okay. Um, a character, kind of a superhero. So, so the, I, the person's drawing it. Right. It's being animated. I'm envisioning it right now. And so I wrote a script for this ninja touting this widget and uh got paid yeah and and i'm like i still can't believe that happened yeah. it was like writing a little children's book but yeah. um so and then um 10 months after i left the truth so spring of 2017 
uh, a guy with some Goshen ties named MJ Sharp was killed in Africa oh, wow. while working for the UN. He had worked for Mennonite Central Committee. Hmm. I knew his, his dad a little bit. I knew I'd met him a couple times, but he was killed and it was a, I mean, it was a messed up death where he died violently, wasn't found for a couple of weeks. Um, and I was like, somebody's got to tell the story. And so I started working on a longer telling of MJ's life. Hmm. And that took actually like four and a half years and then came out as a book in January of um, 2022. Wow. So, um, you know, I would do these freelance gigs and and it could make enough to live on, but then I was also kind of doing research for a book and traveling some related to that and trying to find a publisher. And then, um, you know, um, shortly before, um, it, it was, when was it? It was spring, or it was summer of 2020, had a small church publisher say, we want you to do this book for us. Wow. And so then the book was due in summer of 2021 and came out in January of 2022. So that dominated my life on one level for a number of years. And then um, along the way, the Community Foundation hired me as a staff member hmm. to do marketing and communications when your friend Joe Mel left for a different industry. Yeah. Um, I said, I can be a bridge. And they said, let's just put you on staff. Oh, and I said, cool. okay, but it has to be part-time because I got this book to write. Yeah. And, and then, um, and so I'm still there. I'm still, um, now I'm, I'm 80% time instead of 60% time like I was, yeah. but, but now that the book's done you have the book's done and the freelance stuff. Um, you know, I kind of sh shed some of the freelance stuff. I still do some, yeah. but I don't do as much as I did. You could probably cherry pick what you enjoy. Yeah. You're not yeah, doing very much widget so. ninja scripts anymore. No, no, that's exactly right. Yeah. And I mean, and I can also say, well, now I'm charging this. And people yeah. can either say yay or nay. So, yeah. Um, but it was always, I mean, being a freelancer was a great experience and a lot of fun and somewhat stressful, but it was always, but the flexibility of it was nice. tremendous. Um, and the ability to go to Cleveland for, you know, a week. a week and hang out and tromp around, but then also do some work and yeah. get paid was, was pretty cool. Yeah, because so. then you kind of live in life a little bit, yeah. you know, you're actually doing things because you get, you know, you get locked in this nine to five grind. It's got, there's a big world out there. Mm -hmm. Exactly. What what was it like writing the book? It has, had you, have you had aspirations to write a book before? I came out of college wanting to write a book and always talked about writing a book. And even one of the, um, the Marsha Fulmer, the longtime entertainment editor at the, at the Elkhart Truth would be like, Marshall. Have you written your book yet? Um, and I was like, no, Marsha, not yet. But um, I always wanted to do one. I wasn't sure. I assumed it would be a food book. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people did. And then I really feel like the story claimed me, called me. Um, I was close enough to MJ to tell it, but not so close that I, I tripped over myself doing it. Right. Um but I felt all the things and it, you know, was, um, was a big, had it, I mean, it was hard and it had a deep emotional, even physical impact of just trying to tell this guy's story yeah. and getting it done. And writing a book is just tough. Um, but I've done it and people are like, are you writing another one? And I'm like, 
a friend actually gave me the language. I'm not called to do a second one yet. <laughs> yeah. The day may come. There you go. <laughs> but I'm pretty glad to not be writing a book right now. Yeah. So. Was it kind of just wake up and, and write? What I really tried to do was structure my life so that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I was working for the Community Foundation. Yeah. I was a pretty normal employee. COVID was part of this, so I was home some of that time. Yep. Um, but um, then Thursdays and Fridays were book days, mm. and I could kind of um, just focus on that. And so Thursdays, you know, I would get up and, you know, have coffee or breakfast and go downstairs and start writing yeah. and trying to pull the threads together and then um and wrote the majority i had written three chapters as part of the book proposal and all that but then wrote the other nine or ten chapters in the beginning of 2021 mm. um and those working those two days really worked well to do it until the end when i was more Much intense yeah. yeah and I, and there was a week like in march of 2021 where I holed up in a friend's guest house in North Carolina and and wrote junior high through junior high and high school or high school and college something like just cranked wow um and I would measure the words you know oh, I had a really good day I did this and usually by like three o'clock or so I my brain was toast and I'd go play disc golf nice so in North Carolina um, a little bit there, but just in general here, yeah. I was, I, that was kind of when I got into it, into it. Um, and that was a release when I was doing the stressful oh, thing. Disc golf so. is so nice. Yeah. It, it, is. it is just like, it's, I've been doing two years about, and, um, it just the walking in nature mm -hmm. and then just the relaxing. Yep. And yeah, you got your first ace. I did. Mullet. I don't know if it's your first ace ever. It is. No, it is. So I've been playing, I played. 25 years ago and quit like a lot of folks, Yeah, you know, um, you know, it's easy to say, Oh, I wish I kept playing, but I, um, three years ago kind of started back up and played a lot. Um, partially cause it's easy to play. Yeah. You can do it in a half hour, an hour, squeeze it in. Yeah. You don't have to, you know, it doesn't take a whole afternoon. Well, the barrier to entry is super low. Yeah. It's $20. Yeah. Now I like to buy discs. So, yeah. um, I, I take, delight in that um so i buy discs but i yeah. and i have a bunch but uh i play a bunch i try to play a couple times a week if i can yeah and there were stretches when i was writing the book where i was i was playing like you know i i'd play every day for two weeks straight you yeah. know and did it help you kind of be able to think through things to process stuff while you're out there or was it now i'm disc golfing i'm not thinking about anything i mean i think it's both one of the things that I was aware of um, when I was when I was doing this was in order to to hold on to a hunk of plastic, a frisbee, and throw it well for disc golf, you have to hold on a, a little bit solidly, but you have to yeah. hold on, and then you have to try to figure out how to release it at the right time. Yeah, and so it's this. Hold and release, hold and release, hold and release over and over and over again. Yeah. And there was a period of time when I was writing the book and coping with my dad's death from COVID mm -hmm. that I was innately aware of the power of that hold and release, hold and release. Wow. And and how healing that was for me. So it was partially that. Partially then it was just, you know, groups of friends and yeah. And the competition or the just uh, um, achievement. Um, but 
I, when I went played disc golf, I was still processing what I had just written, but I was also very, I was like, well, I'm not at a keyboard, not much I can do right now. Yeah. So it really, it was a way in which I could let it release. Yeah. And some of that, sometimes you need to do that to then have probably new ideas or do mm-hmm. a fresh yeah. perspective. Yeah. Um, how, <sighs> I don't know how I'll ask this, how much do you love or hate Oxbow's course? <laughs> I have come to love Oxbow's course now. Yeah. yeah. Um, partially because, um, so, I mean, Oxbow County Park has a 24-hole disc golf course that's yep. historic on one level. Um, I mean, it's that was what I played yeah. years and years ago when I played. Um, but it, you know, it got grown up over time. Um, they added holes. So... Jason Samuel and others have done a tremendous amount of work to clean it up so you're less likely to get poison ivy yeah. stickers and lose discs. Yeah. But like and I used to say like the last couple of years when I started playing I was like I don't play Oxbow between May and October. Yeah. I'm too likely to lose a disc and the mosquitoes are too bad. Yeah. Now I played it all summer and enjoyed it. It's now one of my favorite courses cuz it's challenging. It's in the woods. Yeah. You can play it on a windy day and not be super affected. Yeah. Um, you can get lost in there too. I you love get that. a little lost. It's not in, yeah. in a romantic way. Not yeah. as, like it's yeah. barely cleared out. You know where you're going, but you're like, where yeah. am I in Oxbow? It is funny too because like yeah, over time you you figure that out a little bit more and more. You're like, oh, I didn't realize that. What's really funny is the people who are wandering through the disc golf course, hiking. not playing disc golf. Yeah, just hiking. Like like we were playing the other week, and there was a group of family on their bikes, and the kids had like bikes that made the motor sounds when they pedaled Uh, yeah and so it was like this as we're like playing disc golf and it's like this is bizarre yeah like um but yeah i i've made my part of it is that i i'm better so i don't hate oxbow as much either like when you're when you're starting as a player in this area you should not go to oxbow regularly mullet for sure or i took my buddy to um what's the life center yeah that's a really good Mm -hmm. one because it's super open yep and it's almost impossible to lose a disc. It's a, yeah, except on one hole. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've we almost lost one there. Yeah, the cattails and the yep. the road. But yeah, that's that's a really open one. I mean, we've really been. I mean, and and again, it's like this. Like COVID really spurred growth of disc golf because the barrier of entry was low. You can get better relatively quickly. Yeah, but also because people wanted to get outside, and it was a thing that people could Great do with their way. buddies outside. Yeah, and that stuff. So. But I mean, the number of courses in our area that kind of opened in the last three years is remarkable. Yeah, to where we have a bunch of options now, um, and you know, there's even a new one at a church in Middlebury that I haven't been to yet. Oh, I didn't. Even- um, but you know, people are asking me about it, like, have you been there? And we're talking about so Elkhart, the city of Elkhart is really doesn't have a disc golf course. It's Oxbow or Bago Ferretti. Really. Um, and so we're working to change that. We're trying to get a, a small course for now near the Elkhart Health and Aquatic Center and yeah. then a, a longer course down the road at American Park eventually. So uh, 
Where, uh, where's that? Do you know where uh, Rhapsody in Green happens? That's Island Park. That that's where we want to. If we want to put it right there, the question is whether we're going to have people trying to throw across the river to the island. Yeah. Um, like you know, in which case they'll just lose discs. Which one? Um, but that's the question. But we really, me and a couple of us are working on a, like a, a nine-hole course in that right along that area. That would be so because cool. particularly with some of the events going on at the aquatic center. Um, you know, people can um, come for a swim tournament and say, okay, I'm going to go throw nine holes. I'll be back before my kid swims again. Yeah. Um, but it's also like for me, it's selfish because I have buddies who work in Goshen and will go play over lunch. Right. I, it's harder for me to do uh, when I'm in the office at the Community Foundation right there yeah. along East Jackson. But if there's a nine hole course right there, easy. It'll be easy to ha- make it happen. So, yeah. I've done that. I go to the mullet a lot on my lunch yeah. breaks because it's just right there. Yeah. It's super easy to get to. I like to bike from here to there, which is yeah, it's a lot of practice there. I'll go out to um, Shanklin and just go into one of the baseball fields and mm-hmm. work on field work. Just, yeah. That's how you get better. I don't do nearly as much field work as I should. I just want to go play. Yeah. And that's kind of how I practice. But I, I mean, I have friends who really like playing with other people more than playing by themselves. I like both. I mean, I like yeah. the camaraderie, but I also like just going out by myself and it's, zipping around the course and yeah. playing quick. Yeah. So, that's, I'm in the same boat. You know, it's, it's both. And do you have a basket at home that you practice your putts? I have a basket. I'm a net. I don't use either of them as much as I should, but, um, again, I'll just, I'd rather go to mullet than throw in my backyard, yeah. but yeah, I'd try. I totally so. agree. Yeah. At least, um, I have a buddy who has a, ba- has a basket, so we'll get beers and just like yep. work on putting, out putt each other and stuff. And so, yeah, it's a good time. Yeah, no, that's when I saw that ace, I was like, dude, that's how how exhilarating was that? It was great. I mean, I've been, I've been, I come close. I've watched friends do it, and everybody was like, you know, uh, the some of the guys I played with were like, you, you're, it's coming, it's coming, you're gonna get one. And I was with two friends. The guys I've been friends with for like 30 years. One of them lives in Kalamazoo now and he was in town and another one just moved back here a year or two ago. And we went and played mullet that day and played around and then went to hole one to play another one. And I threw it and had a pretty good feeling. You know, heart starts beating a little bit. And the one guy says, you're going to bring up an ace. And then it didn't. And it fell in and it was just like, oh. It was pure. It was fun, and it's around that tree. Went around right. the tree on one, so it's two hundred twenty-four feet, two hundred twenty-five feet. Yeah, there's a tree between you and the basket, and it just happened to get it up there, and it fell left and pure chains, and um, there was a lot of yelling and hopping around. Oh yeah, and then um, you know, other people on the course. It's once you start playing disc golf a lot, you hear the yell, and you go, "Well, somebody just got an ace." Yeah. Um, you know, there's a there's a level of yelling that happens when someone gets a hole in one or a great shot that just yeah. doesn't happen otherwise. Yeah. And one of the other people who was on the course um, when we ran into him a few holes later was like, "Who got the ace?" Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just so it was fun. It was also weird because I was playing with there were a couple other friends who were out there playing, and the and the one guy needed to leave, and so the guy said his friend said, "Well, can I play with you?" And we're like, "Sure." So we all throw. And then this guy who said he needed to leave just steps up and throws one more throw on hole five and threw it in for a day. Oh, wow. And it's like, we all didn't know what to do because we thought he was leaving. And all of a sudden he threw a hole in one. And it was like, oh, wow. 
And then like five holes later, I got one. That's so, cool. It was uh, fun. Yeah. Yeah. I've done yelling, but it's just when I've lost a disc. Not, <laughs> not that, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It is golf um, where you're, you, it can be frustrating. It can be, but it, it's, it's a lot of fun. You break and, your club on the green. Yeah. You know, type. Yeah. Have you played, I mean, you probably played all over the place. I've played a lot in Mishawaka and. I don't get over there as much. I've played Wilson. Um, yeah. I've played, you know, I like Wilson. Rum Village a lot. Yeah. Um, Wilson's I, fun. I don't. Wilson is fun. It's hard. Yeah. So I'm, I've only played it a handful of times. I've played Bago Freddy maybe just once. And that is that the one. maddest I've ever been playing disc golf. Really? Like it was just maddening that day for me. So, um, but uh, yeah, I've actually gone to play a tournament in Illinois. Ledgestone is one of the biggest amateur pro tournaments. Cool. Um, and they have a whole bunch of courses out there. And I've gone, I've played two years now and haven't played well in the tournament necessarily, but it's been a lot of fun to, yeah. to go. So well, to get out there and see everyone else who's interested yeah. in the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many good places. I, I had a friend, uh, he went to Colorado, but on his way, he just stopped and played courses the whole way out there. Yeah. And another buddy who played in, uh, where was he? Utah, and he showed me his shot. And like they're going up and down yeah. mountains. And yeah, I'm like well, that is what. Yeah. So the Elkhart Park superintendent, um, James Zarnecki, I I took him and and somebody else on a tour of some of the local disc golf courses just to show him what was possible. Yeah. And he said, "Well, I played in California when I lived out there, and we and and I I played a course and I was terrible and it just honestly wasn't that much fun." And I and I figured out from talking to him that it was De La Vega, which is like one of the hardest courses in California. Oh wow! Like it's a it, the pros play it straight up. Like wow! And he was playing this course straight up as a beginner, not understanding why it was so hard. And I'm like, well, that's why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was kind of bizarre to figure that out. Like it was just like, like oh, I mean, yeah. courses can be super easy, like mullet really is, or they yeah. can be really hard. Have you ever play at so. the Lodge in Syracuse? I like the lodge a lot. Yeah. Um, I go there regularly. Um, it's really easy to zip down there from yeah. the south side of Goshen. And I feel like those are that's a really beginner friendly. Meyer Broadway in Three Rivers is oh, really that's a fun one spot. of our favorites. Like it's two courses, um, yeah. one in the woods, one a little more open. But mm-hmm. it's it's a lot of fun. I played that one too. That's so, a good one. That's, yeah. I think that's the first one I, I ever played. First course I ever played. I think. It was one of the first courses I ever played were Kenny and Meyer Broadway when I was just starting out. And I'm still shocked that I stuck with it because those are both pretty hard. Yeah. And as a rookie, I was like, I was, it was, it wasn't pretty. Yeah. So I'm still not great. And I mean, there's on one level, there's like the ceiling to it where it's like, I'm never going to be amazing. I'm never going to be, you know, but I can keep getting better. I can keep having fun. Um, and you never know. Yeah, and you so, enjoy, and you, you yeah. get an ace. Yeah, and you're like, this is sweet. Yeah, yeah, that's that's so sweet. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I'll never be amazing, but it is fun to just go and do it. You know. Yep. So I appreciate appreciate yeah. the the outside ability. Uh, I do want to talk to you a little bit about AI. Sure. So I know, um, you know, what what are your thoughts on that as content? You know, you said you create content. Almost that job is being replaced by AI. In a way, not totally. Yeah. You'll have to have an original thought or at least direct AI. But do you see that starting to shift the landscape a bit? I mean, I, I, I think it clearly is. I think so in early this year, somebody I um, I work with at the Community Foundation came to me and said, you should start 
just like getting to know this a little bit. Yeah. And I looked at it as the thing that would replace me. And it's like, I don't want to mess around with that. Yeah. And I got the chance to go to South by Southwest, which is the big oh, tech yeah. culture music festival Austin. in Austin, yeah. Texas in March. And so I went to some sessions where experts in the field were talking about AI. And one of them was Kevin Kelly, who um, was one of the founders of Wired Magazine. Mm. It's kind of one of the OGs in the tech space. But I also know Kevin is is a really thoughtful, spiritual guy who, so he did a whole session on thinking of AI. He calls them AIs. It's not just one thing. It's mm. it's different artificial intelligences Yeah, that will help us, that we can turn into our interns. Mm. We can put them to work for us. We can, um, they can do things that we are not as good at doing. So... From him, I learned that like what what AIs are really good at is recognizing patterns and generating patterns. Mm. And so, you know, there one some of the freelance work that I've done for University of Notre Dame's business um, school. You know, these professors are using AI and machine learning to crunch huge data sets, mm. and students too are crunching huge data sets because the AIs are really good at recognizing patterns. Yeah. And so that's where it has value. Um, that's where um, it could make us, it, it can help us. Um, there still has to be that arbiter of, is this true? Yeah. And I think that's where people, you know, I, I can look at something and go, oh, well, that's not true. Um, or uh, is it good? Hmm. And so as a writer who has spent, most of his life stringing words together, I can say, Oh yeah, that that's not, that's not very good. Like that's not very good. Yeah. And so, but what I have started doing is trying to use AI. I play around with it because I think it's important to understand it. I think it's important to figure out how to utilize it for good. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I'm not a bit terrified for how, foreign governments are using it against us oh, yeah. or what it means for the CIA or, you know, some of those things or what it means for the human race in general. I mean, yeah. there are some legitimate fears. There is a power here that has been unleashed that even its creators are not aware, fearful and wary of. Yeah. So like, this is true, but I think what I can do is write an email newsletter that I'm going to post a Substack, a blog, if you will, and some people will get it directly in their email inbox and some people will see it on social media. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I can write that and then I can use Grammarly, mm -hmm. which is a service that, um, you know, does that, that suggests copy edits and that's AI based. Yeah. And I can use Grammarly to make my writing better. Um, I can go to another AI, whether it's chat GPT or copy.ai and put that text in and say, give me five headlines, hmm. five web-friendly headlines and, and even subheads. And then I look at those five and I go, well, that one's actually really good. Or these two together, mixed together are really good. But I'm not a great headline writer. I've just written a, a blog or a column. Like I, I, trying to write a headline is, is, makes my brain yeah. short circuit for a little bit. And so I'll ask an AI to write some headlines or I can ask an AI to write a social media post and then I'll edit it to make it better. Cause they don't always get it right. Yeah. But they can do the initial 
the first draft. And then I'll do the second or third draft. Do a little bit of the heavy work. The intern, I, I see what you're saying. Like, yeah. intern, hey, create something. For yeah. And so even today, um, even one of the designers the Community Foundation uses said, you know, I used AI because not all those pictures were the same size. And so we made them all the same size using some AI. Yeah. And so there are things like that. You know, in the newspaper, you know, I worked with photographers who would not make certain edits because of ethics and, you know, like that is not true if I make that kind of edit. Mm. Um, that's that's newspaper journalism. That's different than, you know, the Community Foundation where if if there's a, a fly on somebody's face, we'll take it off somebody's face because right. it, it's not an ethical consideration in that setting. Yeah. Um, in a photo. Um, so I think, you, so I've started using these, some of these forms of AI, um, trying to learn how to use them better. And it's a little bit, I mean, it's not the same. It, it is different, but it's like when we all started using Google, right? It we was would all go to Google and search for something and somebody would find the answer and we'd be like, how'd you find that? Yeah. And it's like, well, they were just, they figured out how to search Google better. Right. And so we've all gotten better at searching Google. And so I think the AIs are a little bit of that where we will all have to, you know, we will all, or not everybody, but those of us who are willing to figure out how to write prompts um, will be able to make our own creative work better. Right. Um, and yet maintain the legitimacy and truthfulness of it. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I know, yeah, it, that is a, it's going to be a tool. It is a tool. You know, I know everyone thinks, oh, it's going to take our jobs, right? AI is taking our jobs. But um, I think there is something to, I see stuff that's, I'm like, oh, that's not written by a human. You know, you can kind of see it. It's mm -hmm. not, yeah. maybe it'll be different in the future, but um, yeah, you got to work it. And maybe to make it more human, you have to put a lot of human in it to make yeah. it look that. Yeah. And it, I mean, there's times when it works and times when it doesn't. And you figure out some of these services and which ones work better. So. Yeah. Today I was writing a social media post for the Community Foundation, and and we use a service called Hootsuite, yeah. and they're baking AI into that now. Yeah, and they offered to come up with hashtags for the Instagram post nice. that I was getting ready to post, and so I said sure, and the hashtags it created were not as robust or nuanced hmm. as like copy dead AI would be, or they're actually like you can go to there are hashtag sites where you can say. Give, I, here's my post, generate hashtags for me. That's nice. And so, you know, like I don't need to sit there and try to figure out how to write a perfect hashtag. Yeah. Like I don't know what is happening in the hashtag realm of the internet. Yeah. Nor do I really want to. Yeah. Let's just brain space that I don't have need. Yeah, that's a lot of. But, you know, an Instagram post with hashtags is better than one without. Right. So let me use AI to help me with that relatively quickly and then move on to something more important. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm a cautious adopter, but I also see some value in using it. I like the notion of using it as an intern. Yeah. That's a really good way to think about it. Um, I I've used it a bunch and it's for stuff that I am not aware of. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, it, almost sometimes I'll use it to a, to ask Google better questions. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, I don't know this field. Yeah. So let's learn a little bit about this field using AI. How yeah. would I ask a question well on Google? And then I use that on Google to get an answer. You know, th there's ways to utilize it. Yeah. Yeah. A friend of, um, it, it is, I think where it'll get interesting is once people realize that it has some power that, that traditional 
web browsers don't. Right. So, you know, um, using it for vacation planning, like I'm going to be in Austin for five days, create an itinerary. Mm. Google can't do that. There are some travel writers who can. Yeah. But if an AI can find some of those travel writers and then work and then do some of the work, some of the groundwork and spit out an itinerary like that, that. That's not nothing. Yeah. And I mean, do it in two minutes. Right. And then you're like, okay, yeah, this is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I think some things like that um, are, are intriguing. Um, the whole picture art creation, I played around with it. Mm. It's funky. And I kind of, I, I haven't spent a lot more time on it. Yeah. Um, I think you really need to know how to ask those questions, is what I'm hearing. But it's also really like, Generating a picture and getting it the way you want it to is when you engage that conversation with the bot, mm. and that's when you get better at understanding what the prompts are. Right, because then you know what to ask it, how yeah. to tell it, what to yeah. say. Yeah. So. Do you want another one? Um, I'll try this. Pull, pull. Sure. It's a sour. So okay. I don't know if you big into sours. Yes. But, um, tell me a little bit about your Substack, because uh, that's. I mean, that's. I feel like that's. I hear a lot of that's the new journalism these days. And so yeah. I'd love to hear kind of, I think that's true. So when I was still, um, writing a newspaper column, I started an email newsletter, hmm. um, and would, you know, publish the, the, the column in the papers. And then I would also send it to whomever wanted signed up for the email list to my own email list. And some of it was trying to build an email list, knowing that the day might come where I would be sending it directly to them without the help of the newspaper. Yeah. You saw that. I saw that. Mm -hmm. So, um, I paused the new, the, the column got cut by the South Bend Tribune due to budget cuts at the end of 2020. And in the spring of 2021, we're writing this book. I knew something had to give. And so I, I, ended my time writing the column for the Goshen News and after 20 some years or after roughly 20 years uh, almost 21 years said I'm done writing this newspaper column for now hmm. and then focused on the book and again people were very sweet um, expressed like and I still have people say I still miss you in the Goshen News um, and so when the book was kind of winding down a friend said well, here's how you could crank this back up and over time there was this new service called Substack that was just email newsletter generation, online blog generation. And they, they took some heat because they were offering, they were signing writers to contracts. Mm. And so there was this like, you know, somebody like me could come along and use the service without paying for it. But then they were paying other people big money to write these things. Right. And sometimes they were, you know, controversial folks or yeah, Glenn Greenwald. Glenn Greenwald was right. the big one. Yeah. Um, and so, but they just kind of kept their head down, kept developing this, this platform. And then, you know, I started hearing about like the newspaper journalist who left, you know, the newspaper and created a Substack, paid Substack and grew a subscriber base and made his living and then hired other writers. I didn't want to do that. I mean, I just, but I had a way to return to food writing where it wasn't in a weekly deadline like I had lived with for so long. It was maybe every other week. Um, a friend kind of had the idea, here's what you do and here's how you price it. And so I went in, I mean, Substack recommends that you charge 
50 or even now 60 bucks a year for a subscription. Hmm. Um, if I was writing every other week, I didn't want to charge that much. But I also was happy to turn on the paid model rather than just do it for free. Right. So if if I'm going to work a little bit, some of the readers, it's, it's kind of the NPR model. Yeah. But it's also like you can choose who sees what and you can choose like there's literally a bar in Substack that you drag into your article oh, and nice. drop it where you want the free people to be able to see to and what afterwards you can only see if you pay. Oh, that's really nice. And it's this literal drag, drag and drop tool for a paywall. And it was just the, it's still bizarre. It still freaks me out because I'm like. That's great. I don't know what to give away. I don't know what to. But then you can decide. That's you can really decide. Nice. You can. Yeah. You can decide. So, and I didn't want to overpromise and underdeliver. Right. So I really wanted to say, here's what I'm doing. Here's what you're paying for if you want to pay for it, mm -hmm. and if you don't, it's fine. But you may not see everything. And so I did some restaurant news, um, breaking some news about somebody buying this or. Um, Paul Cataldo's daughter, Gemma, winning a pizza competition in Vegas and and breaking some of that news. And that grew some some of the subscriber base. And and it and it and it have played with that. Is this free? Is this paid? What am I doing here? And I also did put a level, so I charged 36 bucks a year for a subscription. I'll give them away if people can't afford them. Um, I don't, you know, that's pretty normal on Substack. People are like, contact me. I don't, if you need a, if you want a paid subscription, just contact me Yeah, and I'll, you know, so people sometimes offer that. Um, and then I also put in a $75 level just if somebody wanted to be kind of a patron Yeah, and a number of friends took me like did that. That's cool. And so then started back into food writing and it was really interesting because soon after I started back in, so last December is kind of when I cranked it back up, late 2022. And um, I, a, a, a reader, a, a, a paid subscriber soon after I started back up, said he wanted to cancel. And so I just kind of engaged him as to why. And he said, I don't want restaurant, I don't want rote reporting. I want to hear what you think. Mm. And I kind of went, oh. So what I've realized from coming back to this food writing is that I chased restaurant news for so many years. I would, you know, be the guy who would tell people, hey, this this is the place that's going in there. Mm -hmm. And um, I would be the person that would talk to the new owner when they opened. And I've realized over the last year that I my interest in that is just not what it used to be. Right. I'm not as interested in chasing that news. I know that there's an audience for it. I know that it's what people expected from me for a long time, but I've personally just been less willing to try to do that. Yeah, and I've really wrestled with that. And as a newspaper guy, it's like, well, how do how do you not chase the story, particularly if you know people are interested? Like, how do you just not want to do that? Yeah. But a friend. Um, was like, stop thinking like a newspaper guy. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, And so I've been talking with people for about it for a while, and then I actually published a piece um, just today um, here in, in mid-October um, saying I'm really like almost have writer's block because I'm not really sure what you as a reader are willing to accept if you've paid money or if you haven't paid money or what you want there. 
And so just early and put a little bit of a, put a poll in the story and asked people. And I mean, most of the people were like, just write stories. Hmm. doesn't have to be restaurant news. Just write stories. And paid free, like some people were saying, nah, I'm good with free and do it whenever you want. And some people were saying, no, I, I, I'll, I'll pay you subscription. So it's been interesting. And I think giving me some of the freedom just to kind of not do it the way I always did it. Yeah. Also, what I found is that like from years of doing a restaurant column, the muscles are there. Yeah. I can do a quick interview and crank out a column without a lot of thought. Yeah. But it also doesn't, pun intended, feed me in the same ways. And yeah. generally when it doesn't feed me in the same ways, it doesn't feed the readers in the same ways. Right. People can pick up on the... Yeah. And so like a couple of weeks ago, like I wrote about buying a loaf of bread in a quilt auction at the Mennonite Relief Sale. Yeah. I'm involved in that now as one of the board members and I bought this quilt or bought this loaf of bread to support Mennonite Central Committee. And I wrote about this process and people really engaged that piece that resonated with and I enjoyed writing it but it had nothing to do with restaurant news or anything else and so it was like the other thing I I think and we talked about it a little bit um is things have changed so people some of that restaurant news most of that restaurant news people don't need me for in the same way that they would have yeah 20 years ago plus on Facebook it's on Facebook right because a restaurant owner now understands that they need a Facebook page if they're opening a business. Yeah. Most of the time, they don't even have a website. It's right. just Facebook. Yeah. yeah. And there are groups that are mm-hmm. in which the chatter is very much about- What's new? What's happening? Yeah. yeah. And like Hungry Eaters of Michiana is yeah. this whole group where people are like- Guy on. Yeah. About, yeah. You know, where there, there are this whole group of like, what? Um, where do I find deep dish pizza and- Right. Up in Elkhart area, you right. know, and Barbie Lake. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. People chatter and, yeah. And I don't know. I mean, people can, there can be 15 comments on a story. Yeah. And some of the people might have good taste buds and some might not. Right. But, but you get to decide. You get to decide. Yeah. And so you get to go taste it and come back and put your own comment yeah. in there. And so I think, like, what I was looking for was a little bit of permission from the readers to, to spread my wings in maybe some new ways. And so I'm, I'm excited about that prospect because I don't want to be weighed down by this, like, I don't know what to write about and I'm kind of stuck. You're niched in this thing. You have to do it every single, yeah. But it is interesting to me. I mean, Anthony Bourdain once said that nobody should ever write about food for more than 12 or 13 years Mm. because you just run out of things to write about, things to say, ways to say it. Yeah. And so, smoky feel. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't quite agree, but I also think that you have to like do what we all do and reinvent yourself a little bit. And maybe that's, and I think that's what this is. So, cause I mean, what I've realized too, is that the Substack is really the one thing that is truly mine. Mm. Yeah. So like, yeah, it's on a platform, but it's my content or copy. If I'm writing on Facebook or social media and there are people who do that. Yeah. I don't tend to do a lot of that anymore. Um, but, well, or can, if I'm it, writing for the community foundation, moved. or if I'm, yeah, if I'm yeah. writing for the community foundation, or if I'm writing for a freelance There's a little client, bit of an editor or, above yeah, that. Yeah, there's an editor, right. or if I'm writing for a magazine, they, they already have their audience. And so I can live in into those spaces, and, and um, but the Substack is where, this is what I want to say, mm-hmm. and I hope you'll read it. Mm-hmm. And so that, I would be, there's no reason to give that up. Yeah. Um, 
And, and if anything, you've, you've built it too. Yeah. It's, you know. Yeah. And I mean, in a year, like the number of subscribers has grown and keeps growing slowly. You know, you get a few every time you publish something and yeah. some people keep signing up as paid subscribers and I'm like, okay, like let's, but, um, like I said, over the last number of months, I've been like wrestling with this, like, this doesn't feel good. What am I doing here? Yeah. Um, and I feel guilty. And so I think to get some f- permission and freedom and then, and then do some brain- brainstorming and reinvent will be a lot of fun. So I love that. Yeah. Uh, I think you should pursue that. Yeah. I mean, you're already on that, but, yeah. um, I think the, it's the, you is why people are reading it. It's not about the thing that you're writing. About. And that's what people have said. You know, in the early comments back, it's like, you're a writer. We're glad to read your stuff. I think you can do uh, food and you can do that again if you want, but you don't have to do it every time. You can say, okay, well, this specific restaurant, maybe I'll go do the opening for because I want to. But it's not like you have to do that. Well, and somebody somebody even suggested like go eat with someone and then write about Eat with a chef or eat with that, you know, and, and write about that. And so... I mean, and every once in a while. Tell that story about it. Yeah. And I do hear like the, you know, just just yesterday somebody said, wow, I really want this recipe from this restaurant. And I've Mm -hmm. asked and I've tried to recreate it. Mm -hmm. And it's like that, um, you know, um, I do, I, I still have access to folks in the industry. It's not, I have relationships. And so to go to some of those folks and say, hey, can you share the recipe for this? Yeah. Um. I mean, years ago, actually, one of the first freelance stories I did after I was like, go with the truth was for a Mennonite publication about Goshen Brewing Company. Oh, cool. Where the owner's Mennonite. But they, the, the, and some of the guys that work there, but they gave me the recipe for the Brussels sprouts. Yeah. Um, and I don't know it, and I still have it. I don't know anybody else has really published it. I mean, the secret to the Brussels sprouts at Goshen Brewing is that they deep fry them. Oh, so, oh that's good. And then they put them in a fish sauce vinaigrette. But the vinaigrette's really good. Yeah. Um, but it's that, it was that, like, here's a recipe that I kind of personally wanted. Yeah. Um, and I was just able to use it as part of a story. And so I think there's opportunities like that. I mean, food is still, I spent an awful lot of time still thinking about it, eating, enjoying it. That won't change. Writing about it fits. Um, yeah. I, I mean, when I started food writing, I would read cookbooks mm-hmm. just to learn. And I still do that. And so it's like, why would I? There's no need to walk away from this. Right. So, Well, if you enjoy it. Um, I, mean, all right, I have two questions and we can wrap this up. Yep. So, but I guess the first one is the whole writing process. You know, I, if someone wants to get into writing, what, you know, when you're writing for a column, you had a deadline. Mm-hmm. You probably had a certain number of words you had to hit. What was kind of the thing you did? How did you set yourself up for that? And then also, if someone wants to get into writing, this is not two. This yeah, this is one question with two parts of it, and then and then I have another question after that. I mean, I think, and this is one of the pieces that I mourn about the newspaper industry having shifted, is that there are a lot of people who could go work for a newspaper for a couple of years. And work with an editor and be on daily deadlines or nearly daily deadlines. And you just, you couldn't be too precious about it. You just had to produce. Right. Um, and so, but that process of writing and then being edited and it being published quickly and then you're on to the next is really some of the best training. Yeah. So even if you, I mean, the key to becoming a better writer is writing and then 
engaging an editor or readers and getting feedback and learning and moving forward. So again, there are some online tools that can serve as editors to make you a better writer. Um, you can mimic really good writers um, to try to, to, to learn from their techniques. You can read, but I think it's that, I mean, even social media texting is writing. Yeah. It's practice. And so like, that notion that, oh, nobody knows how to write anymore. No, it's not true. They're yeah. texting. They're they're posting social media. Like this is writing. Yeah. And so it's it's recognizing that as that and then and then delighting in the craft. I mean my some of those around me are lamenting the fact, but I I I'm I'm new to the genre of dad jokes hmm. because it's wordplay. It's puns and yeah. and plays on spelling and plays on pronunciations. Yeah. And so I'm geeking out over that and the people around me are not. Um, <laughs> but but it's that it's playing with language that yes. I think is part of it's finding the TV show that is has good writing and snappy yeah. banter and then noticing that. Yeah. Um, and so I think did that answer both questions? That, that was very helpful. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And just practicing it. Yeah. And doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I always tried to write one good line and keep going. I took pride in some of my newspaper leads in that way. They would often have a little bit of wordplay and then just keep going. And oh, if you was that your first line? Would often, you feel yeah. And if I was stuck and couldn't think of one, I would I've learned you start writing the the details that you know, the meat of yeah. what you gotta tell somebody, mm. and then you go back and write a good first line. Mm. Um but but that, um, that, I mean, now at this point in my life, I think with my fingers. So, yeah. So you just, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it probably just, like you said, it's a muscle that you've worked out yeah. Yeah. a ton. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. It's, it's like, I just wonder with the, the new generation coming up, what that writing is going to be, where, you know, in the past, I mean, people said just get in front of your laptop and just start pounding out words and then eventually yeah. you'll work through that. And I, I wonder, you know. and I don't think like everybody said, well, you know, because of the internet, it's all going to be short and that's yeah. not true. I mean, yeah. people still want to read long stories if they're good. Yeah. Yeah. And if they have structure and if they have voice and, and so it's all of it. Um, it's but quality. Yeah. I, that's what I've found is yeah. when I find a book that's quality, man, I am, I love it. You know, mm -hmm. I'm in it. Yeah. And um, we don't have that as much because everything's short. You know, you got 18 minutes on YouTube, which is great. I, you know, I love watching a good 18 minute video. Yeah. But then there's something about just getting caught up in something. Well, and again, it's finding the good stuff. And so yeah. it's like those conversations that I now have with friends about the Netflix shows that they've loved watching. Yeah. Are much more valuable to me than searching Netflix and trying to find it. Oh, yeah. And so it's that like, oh, you like that? Like, and. And so, I mean, even Kevin Kelly said, you know, AI is giving us the tools to make your own movies, mm -hmm. even animated movies. And so you can create documentaries using AI because the tools have gotten so powerful. But yeah. you can also, but he said, giving everyone these tools so that they can make a movie means that we're going to see a lot of bad movies. Oh, yeah. And so everybody's going to create this, but then the good ones will rise up above a little yeah. bit. And so that it's that way with writing. It's that way with photography. It's that way with, you know, we know a great photo when we see it and we right. still respond to it and we can take whatever we have with our phone. But 
that good photographer still has tremendous value because of that. Yep. Yep. Yeah, no, that, that makes total sense. And then maybe the, the barrier to entry was a lot higher to make a video or a movie, but now it's going to be a lot. You're right. Yeah. That's, that's a really interesting thought to think about. Okay. Last question. Um, and I'm sure you get this about a, a lot. Top five places to eat in the Michigan area. Yeah. It doesn't have to be five, but like, what are your top ones that you're like, man, this is. Yeah. My go-tos are still, and they have been for, um, I, I mean, so here are some of my go-tos. So Goshen Brewing Company. Yeah. The mix of. Pad Thai. Oh my word. Yeah. The Pad Thai, the innovation. These guys are good friends, but, but the mix of beer, which is, which is pretty good. And the food that they're doing just continues to, um, amaze me and it's funky not everybody wants pad thai not everybody wants mushrooms with escargot butter um yeah but um really impressed with what they keep doing um ricky's taqueria in elkhart is still my go-to taqueria has been for years since i said they made the best burrito in elkhart county um and i continue to try to find the places that have that kind of flavor um and occasionally do like i think um, there's some food trucks that are coming along doing some really amazing Mexican food. And I think they're getting close. Um, uh, but Ricky's is still very much go to. Oh yeah. Um, I love the old style deli in Elkhart. Oh, I've never been. So it's been there. It's been in downtown Elkhart for 30 or 40 years. Um, sandwich shop primarily. They also serve breakfast, but they just they have 60 or 70 sandwiches on the menu, and they're all variations of a theme. So they have like five turkey sandwiches and five roast beef sandwiches, and oh, five, cool. um, you know, and a couple burgers. And, and they're named, you know, the David Letterman, the Jimmy Fallon. The, oh, cool. Um, you know, and then pl- wordplay on chicken or cluck or whatever. So yeah. I think, but if there was a restaurant I could bring to Goshen, it would be the Old Style Deli. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate that what they're doing um we don't really have it that we've had them they've come and had gone. them they've come and gone but we don't have a sandwich shop and yeah. the, and they i love them it's a sandwich shop hmm. um i think um for brunch my favorite at the moment is the tipsy biscuit in elkhart it's mm, a good spot thursday to sunday just really interesting breakfast and a big but not you know, Greek pancake house or, or, you know, any kind of pancake house, a little different. So I'm really liking them. And then, um, I think the place that I'm really, uh, and again, there, there, I, I could keep going, but the place that if you haven't been to and you enjoy cocktails at all is the Jackson and Elkhart. Oh, I've not been. It's, it's on the roof of the building I work in. Okay. It's a it's a fourth floor rooftop bar with an inside bar. So if the weather's crummy, you can sit at the one of the 20 seats around the bar. But on a summer night, um, on any night, as the sun's setting, um, there's a rooftop bar uh, along East Jackson and Elkhart that is just really fun. And it's like, man, it took a long time for us to get this. But here we are. Yeah. Um, That's cool. So those are the ones. I mean, I would also give two of the ones that I mention a lot that I think are old school places that still bring it are Heine's Hmm. for kind of a blue collar steakhouse on the west side of Elkhart. Um, Still really good. Um, Not fancy, but just really good steaks. 
good burgers. And then um, Antonio's Italian restaurant in Elkhart. I've not been there. I've been Ant- to Hainese, but not. I mean, uh, Elkhart has some really good Italian from all of the ones who came to work on the railroad back in the 30s and 40s. And so some of those places and those families are still cranking it out. Um, Michael's is a good old school place. Um, Probaco's amazing. But Antonio's is really good Italian food on the southeast side of Elkhart. And award-winning pizza. Like he's now, he's a pizza competitor who goes to... Vegas and Atlantic City and even Italy and his daughters have gotten into competing and that's awesome. the pizza is just amazing, um, and so that's there's seven. Yeah, that's I love that. I'm definitely gonna have to. Okay, one more question. We'll, we'll end it. What what you know? And you said the old style deli, but what do you think Goshen is missing other than a Chick Fil A? I'm joking, but <laughs> <laughs> Chick Fil A and Five Guys, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, that's that's one thing I've noticed is Goshen has a lot of chain restaurants. You know, it's they do. taquerias and chains, which the, t- the tacos are fire. They're absolutely good. Yeah. I was a little mad when Chipotle came in. I was actually a little. Yeah. I still haven't been there actually. Yeah, I, I have no. I drive by it a lot and I still don't go. Yeah. I I actually, but I would also say it's um, the chicken sandwich at Common Spirits. Yeah, is right up there with with Chick Fil A. Um, yeah. I, yeah, when they had um, when they're doing their brunch, and I would hit that that chick, mm-hmm. that Nashville chicken sandwich was yeah yeah. I think I mean Goshen needs a brunch place. Yeah, the pancake houses are good. Yeah, I miss the county seat. Yeah, I think Daycap was a really good brunch spot, but um, it uh, I understand why they stopped. I yeah. mean, I really do. It was it was just a, it was a losing battle, not a losing battle. Funny, I mean, they just. The first seating would walk in, and they were behind, and they yeah. couldn't catch up until they closed the doors. And that's a rough spot to be in every day that you're serving brunch. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I commend them for saying, you know, no, now we're going to invent things this way. I mean, that's why the Common Spirits has been amazing at doing delicious flavors and being inventive. Um So we've got the yeah, and, and cocktails. That's, the cocktails. Yeah, the cocktails are amazing. And the thing about Goshen and Elkhart is we have lots of good places but and we really have like one of them yeah um it's not like chicago where you have 10 of them and you can pick right um so we need a sandwich shop we need a brunch place and um those are the two big ones and we need a fine dining place yeah those are the three big ones because kelly j's going to syracuse left a hole that nobody's filled yet yeah um and i mean you don't have to go I mean, some of us aren't going to go more than once a year, but there are some corporations in Elkhart or in Goshen or Elkhart who really want that spot in downtown Goshen where they can take a client wine and dine. or yeah, to be wine and dine or where Goshen College can take a job candidate or, right. you know, whatever. So and and we don't have that in the same way without Kelly J's. Um, yeah. And so I don't know who will step up. I think somebody will eventually. But um, but that's. That those are the three that I think we need. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, Marshall, man, thank you so much for coming on. This thank you. Fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this has been a blast. So we hit the yeah hour and twenty. So there we oh, go. That's perfect. Sweet spot. All right, where can people find you? Give your plugs and we'll, yeah. we'll wrap it up. So um, the food blog that we talked about is hungrymarshall.substack.com. Um, my website is hungrymarshall.com. Um, the Gmail is hungry Marshall Gmail, um, you know, on Twitter or X, 
uh, Instagram, Facebook. I mean, it's Hungry Marshall all around. So um, I'm out there, and I'm always glad to talk to people about food, as you heard. Um, I mean, I, I, I delight in – I mean, I just really, when it comes to food, want to help people find the good stuff. Yeah. Um, we all have to eat, and you know, we're just a lot happier if we find the good stuff. Well, there's something to going and enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. But also cooking at home. Like, I'm passionate about that, too. Um, and so, um, yeah, I'm grateful for years of being able to engage with readers of, in whatever way and and grateful for the chances I get to do. Yeah. Well, I know our community is thankful. I'm thankful. Thanks. So, all right. Thanks, Marshall. Thanks for having me. See you guys. <laughs>